Okay, so due to the length of the reading this morning, uh, please remain seated. Thank you. This is a reading from uh, of Exodus chapter 5 through uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, 
Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit in harsh slavery. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors here. Um, and before we continue to consider this passage, this story, I invite you please to join with me in prayer. Father, we pray uh, this morning uh, that you would speak to us. I think of the song that we sometimes sing, and I, and I pray those words even for us right now, saying, Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. Lord, would you please speak to us this morning and help us to hear you. Help us to be shaped by you that we might be your servants, your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see from the scripture reading, we are continuing through this story that we have in Exodus, the great story of redemption. And this morning, if you're wondering kind of what this is about, I'd like to invite you to consider one thing especially that it's telling us, and that is it's alerting us to the importance of what we hear. In the Bible, hearing is more than just about, you know, what goes to our eardrums. Hearing is actually more about the idea of influence. To truly hear is to open ourselves up and allow words to shape us. And really, Scripture says there are few, if any, decisions that are more important than the decision that we have of choosing what do we actually listen to? What do we hear? Because in Scripture, what we hear determines what we worship. I think we see that here in our story. And I'm just going to kind of walk through this story with you because I think the story itself really helps us to see things more clearly. And actually begin just a couple of verses before Jim began with his scripture reading. 
You might remember last week you had the complaining Moses who was commissioned by God to go. Well, at the very end of chapter 4, he goes. He goes, and you know, Aaron is kind of like his communications director, and Aaron's the one who speaks. And they gather the elders. It's really, you had like this like congregational meeting of all time. I mean, you've got elders from everywhere, these, these important people all gathering together in one area, and Aaron speaks and says, Yahweh, and just clarifying quickly, where you see the word the Lord, just a reminder, in Exodus where it says the Lord, it's almost always Yahweh, which is the name that God revealed to himself to Moses in chapter 3, and it's important. So I'm going to be using that instead of the Lord throughout this um, time. So, so Aaron says, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, has appeared and spoken to Moses. And there might be some skepticism, so then there are these signs that God gave him. And so Moses takes his old staff, this old tree branch, and throws it down on the ground, and it suddenly becomes this massive snake, and people are startled, and he just picks it up, and once again, it's just an old tree branch, and people are amazed. And then, like God told him to do, he takes his hand, and he sticks it in the robe, and he pulls it out, and it's, and it's shriveled, and it's diseased, and it's leprous. And people are wondering why he's doing this, and then he puts it back in, and it's healed. And these are signs saying, yes, it truly is God who spoke to us. So, so people are on their seats. So, Ab- so Aaron then says, this is what Yahweh said. This is the word of Yahweh. He says, I have seen your suffering. I have heard your cries. And I promise you, I am going to fulfill the promises I made to your fathers. I am going to bring you out of this land, and I'm going to bring you to the land that I promised. Thus says Yahweh. And Aaron stops, and there's the question of how are people going to respond? And what we see in those moments is they hear. They hear these words. It says they bow down and believe and worship. It is like revival is breaking up through the entire nation of Israel. They are overjoyed by this news. And here you see the first connection that we see throughout this passage, of this connection between hearing and worshiping. They hear the promises of God and they worship. And you can just imagine how Moses and Aaron must be feeling at this moment. I mean, Moses, you know, was frightened, was skeptical. But as they're leaving the room, I wonder, I mean, they could have given each other a high five. I mean, they were at the center of revival breaking out. And this is the first time probably they've experienced the power of the word of Yahweh. They speak on behalf of the creator of the universe. And people are moved. And so kind of amped up, fueled by this this adrenaline, they come to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, let my people go that they may hold a three-day feast to me. And it's at this moment that things suddenly turn south. Because Pharaoh just kind of like raises an eyebrow and says, who? I mean, you see, he says, who is Yahweh? Why should I listen to him? It's translated obey, but literally it's why should I hear him? Why should I listen to him? I do not know Yahweh, and I'm not going to do what he says. And it's interesting here because if, if, if Moses and Aaron, I think, really understood the power of the word of the Lord, I mean, they could stay confident and say, well, you will, and you will regret this. But that's not what happens. Do you notice? It's kind of like all of their energy just suddenly seeps out, and they start backpedaling. And they say, well, 
I mean, you might not know him and he's not your God, but the God of the Hebrews, our God, well, he says this to us and it would be a real favor to us if you could just let us go because it might be that God will punish us if you don't let us do that. Suddenly it's not like, you know, declarative, you need to do this. It's just like, well, God says this to us and he's our God, so we're kind of afraid. So could you please do something? And what's interesting, I think, is Pharaoh's response. And I want us to notice a few things about Pharaoh because it's important for understanding what's going on in this story. He hears this request with resentment. It bothers him the very notion that these people are going to want to worship anyone else. You see how he interprets it. This is just a threat to what he wants. These are my people, and if you make them worship, that's going to keep them from doing my work. I don't want them to worship anyone else because they're mine. And of course, the underlying idea is I am their God. They're mine. And so what does he do next? He says, I'm going to make this job really hard for them. I'm going to give them twice the amount of work before they had to make bricks for me. Now they have to both gather all the straw and make bricks. And they need to do just as many bricks as before, which is almost impossible. But do you notice why he's doing it? He very specifically says, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Do you hear that? I'm going to make them work so hard that they're not going to ever listen and what are they not going to listen? I don't want them to hear these words of Yahweh. And, and notice then when he sends the taskmasters out, how the story describes what happens. It says, So the taskmasters and four men of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh. And we're supposed to hear. This is almost exactly like verse 1 where Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, Thus says Yahweh. In other words, what we have here in this moment are two competing words. There's the word of Yahweh that says to the people, I am the Lord your God and I'm going to rescue you. And there's the word of Pharaoh that says, I am your master and I'm going to make you suffer because you are mine. And in this moment, Israel actually has a decision to decide which word are they going to listen to. The word of Pharaoh saying, you are mine, or the word of Yahweh saying, you are mine and I love you. And I just want to pause here because I actually think that this decision that Israel is facing is a decision that we continue to face today. And the decision really is, as we decide what we listen to, we are also deciding what we will worship. Because if you think about it, there are many, many different words that are being spoken to us that are seeking to own us, that are seeking to define us. For example, many of us are shaped by the word of other people's opinions. For me, I can think very clearly in middle school, maybe you remember this too, in middle school, what other people thought of me determined everything I did. There was a time I remember that I would not even open my trapper keeper until I saw someone else do that because I didn't want to look weird. And in that moment, what people thought of me, whether they thought I was cool, whether they thought I was dumb, that was my master. That word, that opinion of others was the one word that I would listen to and it shaped my worship. 
We get other words too. When at work, some of us have an annual job performance review and in that moment we are told by our boss, this is how you did for the past year. These are the good things, these are the bad things, and it can be something that will dominate us if we're not careful, where we feel like either I've gotten a raise, I'm good, that means I am worthy inside, or I haven't gotten a raise, I am a failure, and we're crushed. If we're not careful, the word of other people's evaluation, the word of success can be the thing that we listen to more than anything else. Or there's also the word that happens every time we go online to our bank account and we see how much money we actually have. That's a word that for some of us it declares, you're okay, you're secure. Or it can be a word that declares to us, you are not okay, you are in trouble. And that's a word that we can be listening to. And if we're not careful, it can define us. And then, of course, there's the word of God and his promises. And the point that we need to understand, the point that Israel is faced with, is which of these words we most devote ourselves to will determine which master we worship. And so that's the decision that Israel faces in this moment. Do we listen to the word of Yahweh, the king of the universe, who says, I am going to rescue you? Or do we listen to the word of Pharaoh, just the king of Israel? Egypt who says, I am going to make you suffer. It seems like an obvious choice, except for the fact that at this point, only one of those two words seems to be coming true, because they are suffering. It tells us that they're told, to, as I said already, to do twice the amount of work, essentially, but to do the same amount of bricks and do it in the same amount of time, which means they are being pushed to the point of absolute exhaustion, and they're still not being able to do it. So what happens to them? They are beaten and beaten and beaten some more. And we shouldn't think this is just a couple of weeks. This is months upon months of being pressed down and destroyed. And so here in this moment... They are being tested. You know, Jesus in the New Testament speaks that there are different ways that we can hear the word of God. And he says sometimes people can hear the word and it can be like a seed that falls on shallow soil. It sprouts up at first, but when it is tested with a suffering of heat and drought, it withers away. And here is the moment that we find out whether Israel, who seemed so excited to hear the word of God before, whether they heard it in such a way that is changing them deeply or if it's just in shallow soil. Will they now continue to listen to the word of God or will they instead listen to the word of Pharaoh? Well, the answer becomes clear in verse 15. It says first that that the, that the leaders of Israel cry out to Pharaoh, which is very similar to the words used before of how they cried out to God, which already kind of points us in the direction of what's about to happen. But do you notice what they say, and specifically pay attention to how they define themselves when they speak to Pharaoh? It says, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants Yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten three different times just so that we don't miss it. They speak, Pharaoh, we are yours. We belong to you. We are your servants. We're listening to you. And in case we miss that, notice how they speak to Moses and Aaron right after. So they leave Pharaoh, they are dismayed, and they just kind of lay in 
to Moses and to Aaron. And what do they say? They say, may Yahweh judge you. May Yahweh look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and put a sword in their hands to kill us. This is a bizarre thing to say if you think about it. May Yahweh judge you for doing what? What did Moses do? He brought to them the word of Yahweh. He obeyed God. Now they're saying, may Yahweh judge you for doing what he told you to do. It doesn't make sense, but what is clear is their intent, right? They're saying, I don't want you to keep talking. I don't want to hear any more of this word. We are pharaohs, and that is enough, and just leave us. We're done with you. They have made their decision, and their decision doesn't make sense to us, right? I mean, we have two choices. There's the choice of the God of the universe who has power over all things, who has shown that he is real through these signs and is saying, I am going to do you good. And there is Pharaoh who says, basically, you stink. I hate you. I'm going to make life miserable for you. And what's more, there is no indication that even if they start doing what Pharaoh says, that he's planning on making things any better. And what do they do? They say, you know what? I'm going to go with Pharaoh. He seems like the right guy for us to trust. doesn't make sense. But I think it's important for us to remember what Pharaoh's plan was. Remember what he said, I'm going to make their jobs so hard that they're not going to pay attention to the word of Yahweh anymore. He is engaged in psychological warfare and he knows exactly what he's doing. His plan is to so beat down the people of Israel that they have no ability to hear anything else but him. They have no capacity for hope. Because that's what happens when people are beaten down. You know, if you, if you were to Google the effects of domestic violence, do you know what you'd see? You'd see things being described such as hopelessness, a feeling of a complete lack of worth, the inability to trust anymore. Because when you are experiencing abuse again and again and again, you are being told in no uncertain terms that you are worthless, and you're being told in no uncertain terms that it's never going to get better, and it becomes all that you can hold on to just to try to endure the suffering that you're facing. And that's what's happening with Israel, isn't it? They are being so beaten down, they have lost the capacity to think beyond the moment of their pain. To actually begin to have space to imagine that it might be true that there is a God in the universe who loves them, that there is hope beyond this moment if they just hold on, that there are promises that they can believe. I mean, it's telling, isn't it? The very last verse of our passage says that even as Moses goes and seeks to declare to them this good news, they can't hear it. Why? Because it says... They have a broken spirit through harsh slavery. Their spirits are broken because they've been so beaten down that they have no capacity to hear this gospel 
this good news that comes from God. And again, I want to pause and just wonder with you whether this is the only group of people in all of history who has experienced something like this. That is, I want to wonder with you the question of of whether this might be describing something that is true even for us today. That we have, through various ways, been so abused that we have lost the capacity to hope and to believe in the gospel. Now, some of you, I know, this is true quite literally and obviously, that you have experienced horrific things in your past at the hands of others or the words of others that have torn you apart. And so it can be really hard in that context to trust the hopeful word of God. But I want to suggest to us that it's not just people who have literally experienced physical abuse. But that each of us, when we give ourselves to something other than God, we have given ourselves to a master who treats us awfully. And it doesn't number on us. I mean, just think, when we give ourselves over to the opinion of others and that what people say about us and what they think about is all that matters to us, You know what that's like, don't you? You know when someone has said something cruel or you overhear something, it's like your soul is crushed and you don't quite recover from it. Or when it's evaluation of your success, if that's the master that dominates you, it's great when you're riding high, but when you experience failure, there feels like there's no forgiveness for that. Or or how many of us, when we have gotten caught up in our finances as the thing that defines us, have been kept awake at night feeling the financial insecurity of our situation? We are tossed and turned. We are crushed by our masters that we give ourselves to because we are not listening to the right word. And it does a number on us. It starts putting blinders on our eyes, making it harder and harder for us to see beyond the moment and recognize just how good the Word of God is. Now, as we turn to our passage, we we see it's not just the people of Israel that are being done a number on. Think of how Moses and Aaron respond to this moment. You know, they've just been laid into by these people. And remember, I mean, Moses was not exactly Mr. Enthusiasm when it came to his call to go to the people of Israel. But albeit, you know, resentfully, he does go. And he does have this massive congregational meeting, and he calls for this brand new initiative, this Project Exodus, and it seems like he gets everybody on board, and then it just falls apart. And, and, and do you notice how he speaks to the God of the universe? He says, verse 22, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, do you hear what he's saying? This is Moses speaking to the king of the universe, saying, I told you so. I should never have listened to your word. Now, it seems 
absolutely blasphemous, but if we're honest, we should recognize that we know how Moses is feeling right now. Because there are times, I know for many of us, that we have sought in faith to live out in kind of a risky way seeking to serve God, or we've just sought to be faithful and it seems at times like it is not working. And so we find ourselves going, God, what is going on? This doesn't make sense. That's how Moses is feeling right now. And so we have something that seemed to start so well. There's revival that has now completely fallen apart where everyone is giving up on things, and now God steps into the picture by speaking again. And he doesn't speak in the way I think I would have expected him to speak. There is not a deep criticism of Moses or of Israel, although they would be deserving it. No, instead, God basically says, here's the problem, you don't yet know me. He says, now I'm going to show you. Now I'm going to make it so that you come to know me. So that you come to know what it means that I am Yahweh. Now, what does it mean when he says, I am Yahweh? Well, most scholars will tell you that the name Yahweh sounds very similar to the phrase, he will be. And it seems almost certain that that's the connection where that name is supposed to have. Because right when God says, here's my name, I am Yahweh, right before that he says, I will be who I am which sounds like almost a riddle, but what he's saying is, the very person I am right now is the person I always will be. I do not change. I am not indecisive. I do not go through personality crises. I am not going to be adjusted because someone might offend me. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that when I say something is going to happen, it will. Because I am Yahweh. And I will be who I am. That's what he means when he says, you will know this. And so here's what God says to Moses in response to this disbelief, in response to the fear. He says, I am Yahweh. I am the one who 300 years ago spoke to Abraham and said, I was going to take my people out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. And now you are going to experience exactly what I said will happen. I am going to do exactly what I promised. And as you see and as you experience, you will come to know what it means that I'm the God who does not change. And you will come to realize that my word is like bedrock. And you will come to know me. You see, God, God knows what Israel needs. And it's not just a physical rescue from slavery to Pharaoh. There is a deeper slavery that the people of Israel have, a slavery that keeps their souls in bondage, their souls from being able to hope, their souls from coming to know what it means that God is their God, their souls from understanding that they are loved. And so God says, I am going to rescue you in such a way that you will experience what it means that I am faithful. And as you experience these things, your heart will be opened and you will come to know who I am. That's what you need. He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You will know. You know, God hasn't changed 
And he's exactly like that towards us. He knows that our deepest need is not just that our lives be made a little bit better, not just that even we be rescued from death as as much as we do need that, but that our spirits be freed from the slavery that each of us have as we listen to the wrong masters and we give ourselves to the wrong masters. And so when God says, I'm going to rescue you, what he does is say, I am going to show you who I am. And that's what he has done. Just think of how God chose to rescue humanity. He didn't do it immediately. He spent 2,000 years promising. He promised to Abraham. He promised to David. He promised to Israel. He promised to the prophets again and again and again, not just one century, two century, but 2,000 years. And people are crying out, how long, O oh God? And God says, I'm still holding to my plan. And then every single one of those promises over the course of 2,000 years, even when it seemed like it was impossible, Even when it seemed like his king had just been crucified, God says, all of my promises have now been fulfilled. Because in Jesus, all of God's promises find their yes. And what God says at the cross and at the resurrection is, now you know who I am. I am Yahweh. I am who I will be. I will be who I am. There is no change in me. And when I say I am going to do something, you know it's true. And so when I say that I love you, and when I say that I have forgiven you, and that through Christ Jesus I have made you mine, and that if you trust in Christ you can be my children, and that you will have joy everlasting, that's the word you need to listen to. Because I am Yahweh, I am your God, and I love you. And that's the call from this passage to us. God calls you and me to be those who hear his word, even in the face of testing. In just a moment, I'm going to be inviting us to respond to God's word in prayer, but kind of leading us to a time, whether it's confession or prayer, I want to quote again the song that I quoted when I prayed at the beginning because I feel like it encapsulates the prayer that we should have as we respond to this passage. Speak, O Lord and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises, and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Do you join with me in a time of silent prayer and confession, then I'll lead us in a couple of minutes.
Lord God, uh, Yahweh, you are unchanging, your word is unchanging, and yet our faith and our feelings move all the time. Lord, we confess to you that so often we put our trust more in how we feel in the moment than in your bedrock solid word. Lord, we know that's wrong and that is foolish, and yet you know how in our weakness that is what we do. We confess our sin. We confess our faithlessness. We ask that you would open up our, our minds and our hearts to help us to hear what you are saying to us. Help us, Lord, to hear your promises that we more and more would be your servants, your children, living for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the good news of the gospel from Psalm 145. Your kingdom, O Yahweh, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Yahweh is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Yahweh upholds all who are failing and raises up all who are bowed down. Friends, we see the faithfulness of God fully displayed in Jesus Christ. In him, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.